morning, everybody. How are you today? Are you excited to be at Missions Festival? Yeah, that's favorite time of year. Man, I'm telling you, love this. Love it so much. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to take them and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and through 7 we're going to be looking at. The theme of this year is to see his glory. It's what Paul is writing about this morning in our theme passage that we're going to look at today. So in, in starting in verse 5, it says, For we preach, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have to open up your word and allow you to speak into our hearts through your word. I pray that you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth, anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, I pray that in all of the things for this Missions Fest, I pray that in Jesus' name that people would see the manifest glory of God that is being experienced here but also around the globe because you are from everlasting to everlasting. And Lord, we thank you for that and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that intimidated you? Someone that kind of made you change your behavior a little bit, someone that made you act a little awkward sometimes. Uh, Maybe it was on the first date with someone. Maybe it's someone that you have long respected and now you're finally having a chance to meet them and you act just a little strange around them. I experienced this um, uh, when I first came here in 2006. So in February of 2006, I came here on staff and then Every year in July, we have a Freedom Festival, which is right before our July 4th. And uh, when I came here, uh, one of the things about coming here was um, I had met a man that was very instrumental uh, in the life of this church. Dr. Paul Walker was pastor of Mount Perrin Church down on Mount Perrin Road for 37 years, and we began as a campus of that um, that church in 1987, and for the first 10 years of our existence, we're a campus. And then in 1997, we became our own autonomous campus, which is what we're celebrating in a couple of weeks, is the fact we've got 25 years of being our own autonomous church. But Dr. Paul Walker was instrumental in that. And as a matter of fact, he was instrumental in the fact that I um, even got connected to be able to start the process of coming here. And, um, but in, in spite of the fact that I had met him, in spite of the fact that I had been, he had been very gracious to me, very cordial and very down to earth, I was still quite intimidated. So at the Freedom Festival that we had in that first year I was here, I saw Dr. Walker and I saw his wife, Carmelita, and uh, Karma was here and Doc was just a little behind her. And so was I, when I came up, I introduced myself to them. Uh, I, I don't know why I introduced myself to them again, but I introduced myself to them and said hello. Doc was coming over. I, I didn't see it at first, but then I did see it. And I still was awkward. So he walks over and he had gotten a couple of bottles of water and he's holding them in both of his hands. And as he's holding them in his hands, um, I, for, I see it. I see, this, I, I see this whole thing coming. And he's right there. So I thought, I should shake his hand. And he has no hand available. And so I, still I put my hand out. And so as he looks at me, he just, just kind of goes. 
and he just extends his finger towards me. And instead of saying, well, this is awkward, never mind, you know, fist bump or whatever, I reached out and just took his finger and shook his finger. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, I thought I should probably redeem this moment with a little humor. And so I just said the first thing that popped into my head. As I'm shaking his finger, I said, well, I'm going to tell everybody you gave me the finger. If you ask me what spell of ignorance came over you, I don't know. And let me tell you what I did immediately after that. First of all, he said, you better put that in context. And I just kind of put my head down and went, I will, and just walked away. (laughs) Went and sat down beside my wife, whom I told what I had just done, and she said, what did you do? And she said, just sit here with me for the rest of the night, baby. Just stay right here. You ever have, this is bringing me bad memories. Here, take this from me, Brett. I haven't opened it. You can have it. If you've ever been in the presence of someone that intimidated you, it kind of makes you act different or someone you're in awe of. Paul writes, and he says in this, that there is something called the glory of God And the glory of God changes the way you act. It changes the way that you act around people, but it also changes the way that you act around God. As defined by Scripture, glory, when it's defined glory of God, is simply the presence or the weightiness of the Lord or his presence. So it's his presence, it's the weightiness of who God is. So there's this idea, especially in the Old Testament, that the glory of God was a weightiness that was to be sometimes experienced, but almost always feared. And it was because of the gravity of who God was. But Paul begins to write, and he begins to compare a time that every single person that was reading, especially the Jewish believers, would understand and hearken back to. There was a time when God's glory appeared to a certain man, Moses, And as it appeared to Moses, it changed the very demeanor of who he was. But Paul says, if this is what you're striving for, God has so much more than that. I want us to back up just a little bit into chapter 3. And the reason why we do that is, first of all, there were no chapters and verses when it was written. It was simply a letter that flowed together. So in chapter 3, verses 7 through 15, Paul talks about, this, talks about this previous glory, but he reminds us this glory that you think is about God is a glory that was awesome, but a glory that eventually faded. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, now, if the ministry that brought death, which he's talking about the old covenant, the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. The hope that we have is a glory that will last. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses or the law is read, a veil covers their hearts. So what he's talking about is, he's looking back at a time in Exodus chapter 19. The Bible tells us that Moses, who's leading the people of Israel, is going to meet with God. And God says, I want to meet with the people. He said, so tell them to consecrate themselves, get themselves ready for three days. And I want you to come up and I want them to come to the foot of the mountain and I will make myself known to them. And as he comes up to them and they prepare themselves, as he ascends up a little ways to the mountain, God begins to dictate to him the 10 commandments. But the people who hear this hear the thunder and they see the lightning and they see the smoke and they see the billows of just all of this thing that causes fear in their heart. They said to Moses at that point, you go speak with God and then you come speak with us because we don't, we fear being in his presence. That the glory of God surrounded this mountain that the earth literally shook at the presence of God. They said, we'd rather not go. So Moses then spends time with the Lord. He gives him the Ten Commandments, but he also gives him the rest of the law as it is explained. He spends 40 days with God. The people believe that because of the fearfulness they had of the glory of God, that Moses being gone that long meant Moses had died. And so they decided if, if, if Moses is dead, we need a God, so we'll make an idol. In 40 days, they make an idol, and they begin to worship the idol. Moses comes down off the mountain, sees them worshiping the idol. The Lord pours out his discipline upon them. And then later the Lord calls Moses back because when Moses comes down and sees what they're doing, he takes the tablets that the 10 commandments were written on and he smashes them to the ground. God calls him back up to the mountain and he says, I'm gonna give you another copy of the law. And in Exodus chapter 34, as Moses is now in his second encounter with God, he asked God, he said, how will I lead these people? And God said, I'll be with you. He said, but how am I going to convince these people? They are hard-headed. They are stiff-necked. They are rebellious. He said, I will be with you. And my presence will go with you. And Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, you cannot look upon my face and live, but I will allow you to see my glory as it passes by. I will hide you in the mountain, and as my glory passes by, I will allow you to look at my back and see its glory. And so as he sees the glory of God, he comes down from the mountain. What he doesn't realize is the glory of God has literally changed the countenance of who he was. As the people see him, his face was glowing with the radiance of God just by looking at the back of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he would go before the people and they were initially terrified of him. So he put a veil over his face 
when he would speak to the people. Then he would go back into the tabernacle, speak with God. He would unveil his face. And when he went back to the people, he would put the veil over. But Paul tells us that it's not just the people who are afraid, that Moses is also putting the veil over his face to prevent them from seeing that the glory was fading. It is a symbol of the law that was given was going to be inadequate to pay the price for our sins. And that fading glory had to be replaced because the old covenant had to be replaced with a new covenant. That new covenant would be in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would come to this earth, who would give his life for your life and for my life and would pay the price for our sins, who would die the death that we deserved, be buried in a tomb and be raised to new life and therefore given us new life again. It's called the new covenant and is not a covenant of law. It is a covenant of grace. But the law was given to us to show us that we were incapable in and of ourselves of keeping the commandments of God. And there needed to be something else. And so Paul says, if you're looking back to that glory, if you're trying to go back to the old ways, if you know Jesus, but you're trying to incorporate him into the old way of your living, he says, you're putting a veil over the reality of the glory of God, which is in Jesus Christ. And he says, every time the law is read, it literally veils the gospel. Any way other than Jesus, including the old covenant, is at best a veiled look at God. He said, but you can have a better look at God. You can see him in his fullness and his glory and his majesty. How do you do that? He says, instead of a glory that fades, let me tell you about a glory that shines. In verses 16 through 18, he says, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So I want to pause there for a second. I'm not a big person that tells you this is the best translation or this is the best translation. In this moment, I need to tell you, contemplate is a very poor translation of that word. It literally means to reflect as in looking into a mirror. So what it means is, is that yes, you can contemplate the glory of God by seeing that, but what it means more than that is we reflect his glory in this. So he says, we with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So he's saying, not only are we reflecting it, we're also now being transformed internally. It's not just a reflection where we see the glory of God and our faces are showing the glory of God. Our hearts are being transformed literally by the glory of God. He goes on in chapter four, verses five and six. And he says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face or the image of Christ. So what he's saying is this, the old way or whatever you think about God, he said, let me tell you what God looks like. He looks like Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation 
of the Father. Colossians 1.19 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. See, Moses put a veil over his face because the glory of God scared people at first, but also because he knew that it was fading. But through Jesus, we have an exact representation. We get to look fully upon God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why our goal is not to It's not about the way we do things. It's not about the programs. Now, you need strategies. You need all of those things for missions work. But it's not about strategy. It's about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one God, one Lord, and his name is Jesus. It's not in the way that we do things. It's not in the power of our words. It's not in the the, the wisdom of who we are or the knowledge of what we think. It's in the proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ and him alone because he is the only one that represents the Father fully. And so we preach the gospel. But then he also tells us that it's, it's not just a reflection in our face. It's a transformation in our heart. So we tell people about the gospel, but the gospel is also seen in our lives. How? It's seen in the way we live. As far as it goes with Missions Festival and our missions program, can I just tell you, when you decide to trust God with your finances, and say, I'll get involved, you reflect his glory. When you decide that you will join up and pray every day for our mission areas and our mission work that's going on across the globe, you reflect his glory. When you decide that in spite of all of your fears, that you will sign up and go on a mission trip, you reflect his glory glory. When you come back from that mission trip and all you can talk about is the goodness of God that you experienced and observed firsthand and the grace of God that is being poured out across the globe, you reflect his glory. And what happens is this, when you come back or when you hear reports through prayer link, or when you hear how God is using what you think might be the meager resources that you're putting towards missions, and he's using it to exponentially send the gospel out across the world, you reflect his glory as you celebrate and wonder and thanksgiving and all of all God is doing across the world. And you might not think I'm doing it myself, but God is using you and partnering you to get his glory around the world. It is a glory that doesn't fade, but a glory that shines. And it doesn't just shine out there. It shines here in the countenance of who you are and in the transformation of who you're becoming. But it's not just a glory that shines. Paul says it's not just about the gospel changing the way we live. The gospel changes the way we face problems as well. It's a glory that endures. In verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Do you know 
that the way that you face problems reflects your faith and reflects his glory. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. You're going to have problems. He said, take heart, I've already overcome the world. But listen, you're going to have problems. When Jesus promises that you'll be a victor, guess what? There's going to be a battle. You're going to have problems you're going to have to face in your life. And the way you face problems reflects the faith that you have in God. See, we live in a world that says, look at me. We live in a world that says, here are the things I'm going through. Here's how I'm handling this. Look at me. I've got all the answers through social media, through the way that we, you know, how many of you, how many of you, let's be honest. Can you be honest this morning? How many of you have ever posted to social media and used a filter before? Let me see. Come on. That wasn't really you. That was a filter. You should see the amount of hands that are going. We don't want the world seeing us as we actually are. No, we want the world thinking, look at me. I'm strong, beautiful, handsome vessel. But that's not who we are. We are jars of clay. With nothing remarkable about us, And yet the most remarkable thing about us is that God chooses to put his treasure in us, which is the gospel. You will face hard times and difficulties. And when you face hard times and difficulties, guess what? They're going to mess up that jar of clay. They're going to mar it a little bit on the outside. They're going to scar it a little bit. It's not going to look right. There might be pieces that are broken in there along the way. You will be battle scarred. But can I tell you this? Every battle you face, God will redeem. Every sickness that you or your family endure, God will redeem. Every financial hardship you endure, God will redeem. Every opposition you endure, God will redeem. Every false word that is spoken against you, God will redeem. To all of our missionaries and their families, I just want you to hear me. I love you. And I know you carry in your lives things that no one else knows. But I'm telling you, everything you left behind, God will redeem. Every time you worry about your kids acclimating, God will redeem. Every time you face opposition in a country that wants to persecute you, God will redeem. Every time you don't know where your next meal might be coming from, but instead of trying to feed yourself, you go out and feed others, God will redeem. Every time you have a difficult conversation that you don't think is going anywhere, you give it time for the Lord to to water that seed and let the Holy Spirit do the work and God will redeem. Sometimes you feel like you were just spinning your wheels and treading water, but God is going to redeem that and the things that you plant will come to full fruition. We believe that by faith. We receive that by faith and we give God praise for all the things he's going to do in the fruitfulness of your lives. We are jars of clay. Our goal is not to bring attention to ourselves, but to bring attention to him. When you come in a worship service, I hope you never leave here and go, man, what great worship leaders we have. 
or what a great missions leader we have or what great missionaries we have or man, what a sermon. I hope you always leave here celebrating the fact of what God is doing in this place and all across the world and the only thing that comes out of your mouth in celebration is what a great God we reserve and what a great Savior Jesus Christ is. In a world that says, look at me, we, the jars of clay, say, look at him. Because he's the only one who is worthy of our praise. Paul says, this glory that is shining and it is enduring is also a glory that is everlasting. In verse 15 through 18, he says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, although outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Every person in this room, from our missionaries to our members, I need you to know something. Paul is not making light of your difficulties. He's not calling them light because they're easy. He's saying the glory that you have been exposed to now is yet nothing compared to the glory that you'll experience when you see him face to face. And he said, and in retrospect in that day, every difficulty you face, every hardship you endure will seem light and temporary in light of his glory. The glory of God is so great because just his glory alone can vanquish the wicked, comfort the broken, and reward the righteous just in his glory. Paul is inviting us, the Holy Spirit is inviting us to see his glory in a way that you've never seen it before. How does that happen? Stop looking at the jar of clay that you think is inadequate. Stop looking at yourself and giving God all the reasons why you can't do what he's speaking into your heart to do. You know, when it comes to giving around here, I've never, ever, ever, ever asked you, ever asked you to give anything except what the Lord puts on your heart. I've never asked one person in this church for an amount. I've only said, whatever the Lord speaks into your heart, that's what you do. You see, when you believe that you don't have enough to make a difference, by faith you say, yet I make a faith promise, believing that God will supply and will use it for his glory. When you say, I'm not a prayer warrior, but by faith you say, yet I will pray every day for our missionaries and sign up for prayer link so that I can hear about what God is doing across the world and have specific prayer requests. 
When you say, I have a fear about going overseas or I don't know about going on a mission trip. And then you say, and yet I will go anyway and I will watch what God is going to do as I overcome my fears. I came here 16 and a half years ago. Almost 17 years ago, I came to this church and I met Mark Walker, who was the pastor. I met him to talk to him about growing a church I was pastoring in Mississippi. And he said, would you consider coming here and serving as missions pastor? And I said, uh, I think you've got the wrong guy. I had been on one mission trip my entire life. And Mark, in his own way, Mark said, I said, man, I, I don't think I'm qualified for this. And he said, well, you were in business, right? Out of college, you got a business degree? I said, yep. And he said, uh, did you feel qualified when God called you to be a youth pastor? I said, well, no. He said, well, did you, call, did you feel qualified when God called you to be a senior pastor in Mississippi? And I said, nope. And he said, you're ready. <laughs> I have never felt more inadequate than the day I moved here to serve as a missions pastor. But I have never been more rewarded by taking God and putting aside the inadequacies that I felt and just trusting him because it changed the course of my life. I don't know what God speaks to you about giving, about praying, about going on a mission trip, but I'm just telling you, don't you dare focus on what you think is the inadequacies of the jar of clay. You focus on the fact that he has put his treasure, the gospel in you, so that it can transform you and it can pour out of you. Don't ever put limitations on God who has unlimited potential to do whatever he wants in you and through you. These next few moments, I want you to, I hope you received a brochure when you came in it's the only time of the year we do this. If you'll take out, there's a card. It's a faith promise card. If you'll take that out, if you did not happen, you did not get um, one of those cards when you came in or brochures, and if you want one, if you'll raise your hand, we've got some of our worship center uh, hosts that'll get those to you. Just keep them raised really high. We'd love for you to get one. All this faith promise card says is this. It says that I am depending on the Lord. I'm depending on him and I'm going to make this commitment based on the faithfulness of God. It's not a pledge where we're going to call you and say, where's your money? Nothing. It's basically saying, I believe God is calling me to invest this amount. And I'm going to be, I believe he's going to supply it. I don't know how he's going to supply it, but I believe he's going to supply it. And as he supplies it, I'll give this. That's all it says. But you're just putting faith into action. Now, I want you to know something about our missions, budgeting, giving. God has blessed us tremendously over these last few years where we've been able to partner more and do more than we've ever been able to do before. And we believe doors are still opening wide for us. We've got new mission part, missionary partners with us this year that God is just doing exponential things in addition to all of the wonderful missionaries that, we are, that are continuing to grow their mission work as God sees fit. But I, I'll tell you this, if you don't know anything about missions here at Mount Perrin North, we believe in it so much that every single 
penny that you give goes to missions. Now, what I mean by that is this. Every salary that is paid that has to do with missions here in this local church, from our missions pastor to our missions coordinator to anything that's done, that is paid out of your tithing and your regular giving so that every penny you give to mission goes towards missions and no administrative costs are covered under that. We believe in that. And I just want you to know, I want you to know, I know these missionaries, I know these members of this mission board, and I know that man over there, Brett Mays, is the missions pastor, and I'm telling you, this is done in integrity, and I've never seen so much fruitfulness in all of my years is what God is doing. I'm not begging you for anything. I'm just telling you, you want to get on the blessing? It's up to you. I want to pray over us. I'm going to ask God to speak to you, and maybe you're ready to do that today. At the end of the service, you can drop that in one of the giving buckets on the way out. Maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe you want to take it with you and ask the Lord this week, what do you want me to do? Whatever he tells you to do, simply do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can live in your glory, that you have chosen to put treasure in these flawed, imperfect beings that you call jars of clay. Thank you that as you do that, Lord, that you use us as conduits of your blessings. As you flow into us, Lord, we receive and we give. And as we do that, Lord, those blessings flow to others. Lord, you said your people would be blessed by you so that they could be a blessing to others. And Lord, we take you at your word today and believe that in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that every person that is asking you, you'd reveal to them exactly what you want to do. I know you've already spoken to me. But as you reveal what you want them to do, Lord, I pray for faithfulness. And I pray for boldness to step out in faith, in giving, in praying, and in going on these mission trips, Lord. I believe this is going to be a banner year where your glory is seen across this globe, but especially through the ministry of our partnerships here at Mount Perrin North. And Lord, for that, by faith, I want to go ahead and give you praise in advance because it's you and you alone who deserve it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's hear it. Will you stand to your feet? God is faithful. Lives are being changed. Churches are being planted. Leaders are being raised up to carry this gospel all across the world. Come on, let's believe for more. We say, come on. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe. Come on. For greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things, there's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like the power, there's nothing that I
you see his glory this morning? Are you living in his glory this morning? Are you ready to carry his glory to the world around us? You got real weak on that one. I said, are you ready to carry his glory to the world around? You're tired of my questions. Okay. Listen, our missionaries just left. They went up to the gym. We hope that you'll come up there and talk to them, spend time with them, see pictures, see things from around the world that you help support through your missions giving. But before you do that, if you have children in our, uh, in our uh, kids' church, stop and get them. We don't want to take care of them any longer. But stop and get your children. Take them up to the gym with you. There's food up there. There's, there's, there's water and drinks up there. Enjoy the reception till, till about 2 o'clock or so and come hang out with our missionaries. Now, let me say this. If you are uh, needing extra assistance, we have our golf carts that will be out here in the main lobby to shuttle you up to the gymnasium. If you want to get there a little bit quicker and don't want to have to uh, walk through the breezeway and up the stairs towards the gym, we have uh, out here in our main lobby to my left and your right our, our shuttles out there, and they'll take you up there. One more word of caution. We've had quite an eventful day here. Things moving in here, things moving out there. We've had some kind of smoke or fire in one of the air conditioning units. Some of Cobb County's finest are out there in their trucks, and you're going to see a ladder going up to the roof. And I mean, it's just quite a day here for Missions Festival. Don't be alarmed, no pun intended, but everything's under control, but you're going to see them out there. All right? What a great day. Allow me to bless you before we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you and grant you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. See you up at Missions Festival.